Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's the founder and CEO of Lisa Inside Addiction podcast host, counselor. It's Luke Wurzwald. How are you doing today, Luke? I'm awesome. Thanks very much for having me on the show, Alex. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We are so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we'd like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Yeah, okay, perfect. So in terms of me, my story starts kind of before me in a way. Um, I have to go back to my mum. She, when I grew up, she had her own struggles with drinking and using drugs. Um, And that was kind of up until, you know, when I was born. Um, And when I was born, you know, things got a bit more challenging and her drinking and drug use kind of kept escalating through my early years. And then when I got to the age of 10, um, she passed away, you know, from, from drinking um, and using drugs. And that was really hard for me to manage as a 10-year-old kid. I really didn't know what was going on. And to be honest, Alex, I, I just ripped out everything that connected my head to my heart. I just subconsciously didn't know how to process the grief at such a young age. So I just shut everything down, bowled up all my emotions, kind of put everything way down sort of in the, in the pit of my sort of stomach, wherever we shove our emotions, never to be found again, and just gone with my life. And at that pivotal time in my life, when I was 10 years old, I was around my brothers and my dad. And it, that was a situation where it was quite masculine. It was like boys will be boys. And at a young age, they were... I was 10, they were 14 or 15, so four and five years older than me. Um, and we would just fight, to be honest. We were boys, we didn't know how to manage our emotions. We just kind of beat each other up and it was just shrugged off. Boys will be boys, it's not a problem. They're just fighting again. But in reality, we didn't understand how to, how to process grief. So because we didn't understand how to process that grief, we were just turning to the one emotion that a lot of men display, which is anger. And we just kind of fight and, and just beat each other up. So that was kind of my childhood growing up of not really understanding emotions, not being able to show emotions, certainly not being taught how to regulate my emotions. And what that meant for me is as I then went into school and was around more guys and um, went to a public school, there was a situation where everyone was just like having a few cigarettes, having a few drinks, you know, before and after school, just kind of mucking around as teenagers do experimenting yeah and through that experimenting that was when i started to really start escalating my behavior and using drink more using drugs more smoking more weed smoking more cigarettes and then it was a little while after that i tried my first line of cocaine and just sort of experimented with drugs but that was my kind of foundation but the thing is is as time went on i went on to build a company which became very stressful i'm sure we're going to get into all all of that but in terms of my childhood they're kind of the main points that really stood out so leading up to as a 10 year old was there anyone that you could express emotions to or be able to share like what you were seeing with your mom and what she was going through the challenges the struggles that she was battling was there anyone that you could have gone to or you did go to and to be able to express because you talked about how grief was hard for you to share and be able to handle it over time but but prior to that was there anyone that you could go to yeah I think in terms of expressing my emotions I didn't really understand how to do that as a 10 year old kid but in terms of supporting me with supporting me with my emotions on like a just being there for me level there were some key and important women in my life 
Like my, my stepmom, she came a bit later, but she was really important for me. My nan, she was always there for me um, and really supported me. And my nan, she used to take me out every week and pick me up from school and take me to go and ride my bike and do extreme sports and do whatever I wanted. So Wednesday afternoon was like Luke Day. And I used to finish school in the UK at 2 p.m. So at 2 p.m. for the whole rest of the day, which felt like ages, I could go with Nan and do whatever I wanted. And I'll spoil a bit. But that was really nice to be supported with my emotions in like the way of activities and her just taking me to do things. And I still do extreme sports to this day. And that's something that's stayed with me and nurtured in me all of this time. Did you have a close relationship with your brothers prior to being 10? And then after 10, it kind of boys were being boys, kind of that anger, the kind of the physicality came out in everyone. Yeah, I think before the age of 10, um, they were just older than me. And I think there was a situation where um, I don't remember much before the age of 10. I feel like a lot of my subconscious or my mind has blocked it out. Mm -hmm. But certainly after, they were sort of kind to me at different times, but they'd always um, sort of haze me a bit and have banter. And I was like quite younger than them. And it was like my oldest brother would pick on the, the next one and then he would then pick on me because he didn't have one, anyone to pick on. Yeah. And I was kind of last in the line. So I got, you know, the brunt of it to some extent. Um, and it was challenging, right? They didn't know how to handle the grief and going through this either, even as 14, 15-year-olds. They didn't get that. And, and also they experienced a lot of different things with mum and her drinking because they were older than me. She sort of passed away when I was 10. So I was kind of the younger years, but they were sort of like 14, 15. They used to go around there and get away with murder and drink and do whatever they were doing and sort of be able to have a bit more freedom as teenagers. So they had a different experience, but it was still really challenging. And for me, there was definitely that aspect of finding it hard just to know how to deal with it all. Teenagers, teenage years, you mentioned, is the time where a lot of kids experiment with drugs, alcohol and all that. When you got into that kind of atmosphere, that kind of getting into that, those experiments, did it ever kind of trigger your mind? Like, I don't want to go down this route because I have experienced someone that had gone down this route. And it kind of could be nervous because you don't know where it could lead you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There was definitely that thought in my mind of mum died of, of drinking drugs. That's kind of like a bad thing. Don't get too involved. But at the same time, my emotions and my sort of need for significance and value in my peer group kind of outweighed that sort of logical thinking of, you know, don't use drugs because mum died of drugs. That's obviously a bad idea. It wasn't until much later in life that that realisation kind of hit me. At the time, I was like, I'll never be that bad. I'll never get caught up like that. You know, and we kind of have these beliefs. It won't happen to me or someone will come and save me. And I kind of had those beliefs that like, I won't be that bad. I'll get away with it. I'm, I'm just having a little bit here and there. I'm not as bad as the guy on the park bench. You know, I'm just with my friends, having fun, being a teenager. Um, and it wasn't until later on they really kind of got out of hand and I, I got that sort of life was really giving me the warning signs. But I think there was always that awareness, 100%, but it just didn't necessarily materialise until much later. I think nowadays a lot of, parents worry because of the influences that just on like social media tv shows movies that kids see that they don't want their kid to go down that road but i never experienced that until 
college days for me or university days because of the atmosphere I was in. With the group that you were with, did it feel like an escape? Like what was going on at home was that kind of moment. But when you're with this group, you kind of felt like a new version of yourself or a new like persona in a way, kind of like not who you would go to at home. Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to fit into the group and definitely like smoking and drinking allowed me to fit into that group and also selling cigarettes. I've always been entrepreneurial. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. I've always been entrepreneurial. And one of the things I used to do is sell cigarettes. So I used to buy one pack of cigarettes or get someone else at school to buy them for me. And then I would then go around selling them individually and I'd double my money. So I'd buy one pack of 10 cigarettes and I'd double my money by the end of selling them all. And that was the challenge to kind of sell them all before school and kind of do a bit of a hustle. So I definitely was kind of being someone else slash developing this entrepreneurial spirit and trying to fit into the group. I think as a young kid, I really wanted to fit in. I wanted to fit in with my brothers, which was hard because they were older than me. So then the next best thing was fitting with with the people around me and my peers. And I wanted to be in with the cool kids and to to have that sense of status. And I think when I was younger, because my mum drank and used drugs, I was born premature. So I was born at 26 weeks and I weighed as much as a bag of sugar in the UK, which was like one pound. And I was tiny, a tiny little baby. I was in the incubator um, for, for many, many weeks because I was so pr- heavily premature. And my dad, his hands were probably the same size as mine now. And he used to hold me in his hand with my little head above his fingers and my little legs dangling down his wrist. And I was like, the whole my, his hand was the whole size of my body. And I was just like a little baby, a little ditty baby um, who kind of made it after mum was drinking and using drugs and I survived all of that. But the point is, is that that meant I was a bit of a late developer growing up. So I was one of the smallest kids um, in the group. So I wanted to drink and use drugs to fit in, to get up to that level, to get that status. I didn't have it from like puberty or muscles or height or any physicality. So I wanted to try and do that by fitting in, by being cool or entrepreneurial, giving people free cigarettes or finding some way to kind of get into the group that was really important for me. Sometimes as we're growing up, we're asked that fun question, what's that dream job? You talked about getting into the entrepreneurial aspect. Was that always the game plan for you? Or did you have a dream job that you wanted to go for? Yeah, I think for me, it was always entrepreneurship. I remember in between like high school, what we have in the UK, between like school and going to university or or the next level college, they asked me, I got this form, someone, some teacher or something gave me this form. And on it, it said, Luke, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote entrepreneur. Didn't even know how to spell it. It's probably spelled wrong. <laughs> but I wrote what I thought was the word entrepreneur. And I just knew I wanted to be this thing called an entrepreneur. I didn't even know really what that was, a businessman, an entrepreneur. And I just remember writing it down. And that then led me to do a course um, by a really successful entrepreneur in the UK called Peter Jones. He was on the TV show Dragon's Den, which was like the UK Shark Tank. Um, he's a guy called Peter Jones. and he creating an academy in the UK for young kids to go and study entrepreneurship and start their own micro business and really be nurtured. And because I wrote that, Alex, on on the form, they then allowed me to go and do this course and put me on this course about building a micro business. So from a young age, that was kind of fostered in me. And that then led me to, from that micro business, I went on and started, you know, a few different companies since then. 
Um, and now I, I run my counseling business, but yeah, that definitely was fostered in me. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, there's not really any other job that I've ever wanted to do apart from just run my own business. I love that idea of that academy or the course that you took, because I think a lot of, you look at a lot of the entrepreneurs nowadays, and if they took something where to kind of get them the mindset of, okay, this is the expectations of what it makes to become an entrepreneur or grow as an entrepreneur. That is so, that's fascinating. I mean, there's probably courses out there, but getting you started at that young age and going into it instead of you working and then now finding out and then learning where times have changed. Did you know, was, I guess at the time when Peter Jones was there, was he part of Dragon's Den or was it was way before that? Yeah. So yeah, he was part of Dragon's Den. So he was kind of famous. I watched him growing up on Dragon's Den. So I definitely knew there was kind of, he didn't teach the course or anything. He just kind of set up the academy. Um, but he, and we did see him a couple of times as well when he he graduated us all and shook our hand when we all graduated and stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely that was like a, a a thing that was on my mind. I've seen him on Dragon's Den. He's an amazing entrepreneur. He's rich. He's made loads of money. And now I get to do his course. There was a sense of pride and status with that um, and, and starting a micro business. And the teachers on there were, were really good. And we learned so many valuable skills about how to write a business plan, how to do like cash flow forecast, the difference between types of business like a charity and a limited company and a social enterprise and all these different types of businesses. And we actually had to start our own business and make money from it. And that was like required to, it could have been like lawn mowing or I did like a magazine or loads of different things. It could have been something small. It didn't have to be like Facebook, but just a tiny micro business to generate some money was part of passing the course. And yeah, it was really an amazing opportunity. Did you ever think about the risk of going into the entrepreneur world where it can be a hit or miss with making money, losing money, like going into debt, things like that? Was that ever like going through your mind or it was more about that challenge and seeing what I was able to accomplish? What am I able to create and creating your business? Yeah, I think for me, there was always just that vision of just wanting to succeed and wanting to be rich, I guess, and wanting to have money and, and all of those things that come with being an entrepreneur. I didn't understand how hard it was back then, <laughs> um, all of the ups and downs and the failures and everything along the way. I guess uh, my naivety was a blessing in disguise and I just wanted to be an entrepreneur and wear a suit and just kind of have this sense of identity. And I guess along the way, I've learned so many mistakes and ups and downs and built businesses and failed businesses and all of that stuff. But I think at that time, I just really wanted a vision and I just wanted to go for it and just try it and just just see what happened. Um, of course, as time went on, I was held back by my addiction and I had to get through that. But definitely as a, at the early age, I definitely wanted to kind of succeed. Talk about a little bit about each of those businesses that you started out with and creating. How did you come up with the concept and... How, where did it take you into your journey? Yeah. So the very, very first one was um, a magazine called Extreme BMX. So like I said, my nan used to take me out BMXing every single week. That was a really nice part of my childhood. So I started a BMX magazine. Um, actually, that just was like a micro business. And that, although the business didn't really go anywhere, um, I think I sold a few advertising spots and wrote a few blog posts and stuff. One thing it did do 
is I actually went and learned how to write code. So I learned how to write HTML and CSS and learn how to build websites because I didn't have any money to pay anyone just to, to mm-hmm. launch my micro business. So I learned it myself. So although that business didn't do anything, what it did do is it taught me all of those skills. Now, I also um, started an electric moped business as well and built all the website for that um, and imported some electric mopeds, um, but we didn't keep up the stock and that kind of just fizzled out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next one was um, an, um, a web design and marketing agency. So that was when I was kind of using drugs and drinking quite a lot, but I started a web design and a marketing agency with my business partner at the time. Um, and that was where the traction started to build. So we started to hire employees and have an office and started to grow and have clients and build all their websites, market their business and do content marketing. And we grew to about a team of about five or six. Um, and it was going really well. The business was doing good, but the crack started to show because I was still, how old was I? I must have been in my early 20s. Um, so I was like 17, 18, 19, 20, somewhere around there. And the stress was just quite a lot, having a team and payroll and I think to make this money every single month. And I would, you know, go out on the weekends and party and drink and use drugs um, because that's all I knew. And that's when the cracks really started to get bigger and bigger and bigger because it went from, you know, having a bit of a party, celebrating, winning a, a big client, to then, shit, we can't pay the payroll, things are stressful, spent loads of money on drugs. It went from doing it just to the weekends to Thursday through to Monday. And then I was kind of using drugs every day. And eventually over time, I stopped going into the office because I was just a mess. And then eventually the business went under and I had to move from my penthouse flat into a house share and live with a bunch of other people. And I lost the whole business and I was thousands and thousands of pounds in, in debt. And I had the bank call in and I had clients calling asking where their website was and everything and where their money was and what was going on. And I just ignored it all, buried my head in the sand and kept, you know, using drugs over and over and over again every single day. And that was my kind of rock bottom where I was in this really kind of dark place. Do you feel that with the stress, like, could you have gotten out of the business earlier to kind of not go deeper down through your addiction? Or it was just keep going, keep going. Like, I think I'll make it. I'll think it will get better. But the addiction also played a role also in that also. Yeah. So I think the business... I think I was very naive and I just thought I'm going to start a business and succeed and just started employing people and getting office and wearing a suit and the business was kind of, I was naive setting up in, in that way. I just didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and then also with the addiction as well, that was both of them just weren't a good combination. And I mean, one of the things I've learned from all the years of therapy since all of this is one of the main traits that held me back was like being a people pleaser. So one of the things I used to do is because mum died and she uh, abandoned me in my eyes um, and my subconscious mind, that inner child felt abandoned. So therefore, to counteract that, he would people please everyone and make sure everyone loved him and liked him. So therefore, they didn't abandon him. And that played out subconsciously. I wasn't aware of this at the time, but subconsciously, that played out in the business. So I wouldn't invoice people properly. You know, I'd let them just kind of have things done on their website or their website hosted and stuff for free and I wouldn't really send them invoices. I wouldn't want to talk about money or discuss the money and I'd be like, oh, I'll just do it for free. 
I wouldn't bill them or be boundaried with the billing. And I was nice to all the staff and paid them good wages and helped them out and stuff. And, you know, was just didn't really have many boundaries with my business partner and things just because of that, it meant I was doing a lot of the work on my shoulders myself as the main developer and the business was consuming a lot of finances and no one I was didn't have the sort of emotional intelligence and the psychological strength to actually take charge of the business and solve all those problems and have those boundaries. So the business was kind of coming apart of the scenes and then subconsciously and emotionally to deal with all that emotions and stress, I was just hiding and drinking, using drugs. So when I put it like that, you can see like it's just a, a you know tumbling towards fucking disaster. So that was at the time. But like I say, I wasn't aware of that. It wasn't a conscious process. Only in hindsight can I connect all these dots. But that was some of the reasons it kind of unfolded and, and sort of came apart. When do you feel was the big eye awakening? Like, I need to get better. I need to kind of prepare myself for this next chapter and kind of maybe think differently, think maybe smarter. Or what ways did it look like I need to make a change because for my health, for my mentality, for emotions, physicality also. Yeah. So for me, I remember this so clearly like it was yesterday. It was a time when I'd moved from the penthouse flat into a house share and I didn't want to get kicked out of the house share because I had literally nothing left and I didn't want to literally be on the street. So I was going outside round to the local park to smoke joints when I was on a come down from drinking and doing coke. And I was sitting there taking the last few drags of a joint one day, looking and just thinking, how can I get more money to, to drink and use more drugs and keep the party going? And I would, had called so many people in my phone book, looking and asking them, you know, if I can borrow money, if I can just have a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. And I'd exhausted so many relationships and burnt so many bridges over the, like, the last few months that I only really had one number left. And this person, Alex, he was a business mentor of mine and someone I'd known many, many years. And he'd gone through his own journey with with trouble, with, with his own journey with, with, you know, sort of addiction and got his life back on track and run a successful business. So I didn't want to call him, but I didn't have any option left. And he was like the last number. And I pressed call because I was just so desperate. And I remember calling him on the phone. And I tried to bullshit my way through the call and convince him and all this stuff and go for the normal manipulation routine and sort of sleazy sales tactics. And he just cut me off with a sentence that just changed my life forever. He said to me, Luke, you're a crackhead. And although I'd never smoked crack in that moment, Alex, it just pierced that whole veil of denial. Like what you were mentioning before, did I ever think, oh, mum's an addict, why the fuck am I doing this? There was a sense of in that moment, it just pierced that denial, that, that one sentence, Luke you're a crackhead it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I was like whoa what's going on here what am I doing with my life I'm I'm an addict I'm I'm just heading towards death just like my mum I'm going to end up dead I've lost the whole business I'm just using every day what is going on I'm, I'm just going towards this down this path further and further what's happening and it was in that moment that I decided I've, I've had enough I've had enough I'm, I'm not doing this anymore I'm not drinking anymore I'm not doing drugs I didn't know how this was going to happen. I didn't have a single clue what was going to go on. But I was like, this is enough. I'm not going to die from addiction. You know, I'll die at some point in my life. But I'm not dying for addiction. And I'm not dying, you know, in my 20s from just repeating this cycle. I, I can't do it. And, you know, 
one thing I've learned since then is that my mum's life was not an example. It was her death that was the lesson. Mm. And that's why I kind of got in that moment that her death was the lesson. Don't do this, Luke. Don't repeat this mistake. And, you know, it was at that point that I booked in to see a therapist. I just Google round and I just booked in to see a therapist and I just went back week after week. And that's when my trajectory started to change. I started to clean up the mess. Um, and that's when all of the, the growth really started to happen. This question is going to basically go towards now in the future. Sometimes when people are, use the label addict and I'm addicted, sometimes they take that personally. When you think about that word for you, what is your main mission in helping people and sharing your story with ha- knowing that you had that label at one point in your life? Yeah, I think my main sort of mission and thing I like to say to people is that we can change, right? My mum's, like I say, her life was, was you know, not an example. Her death was a lesson. And I, I didn't choose that option. I didn't choose to die from addiction. I've chosen to grow and have therapy and sort my life out. And I've been sober. It's my seventh year. So, you know, I've been doing well myself. And I think there's loads of examples out there. People have got their life back on track. So I don't necessarily think we should be too caught up in the labels of you're an addict or you're not. I would say definitely I have a very obsessive personality and I can definitely get very involved in things if I'm not careful. Um, But definitely wouldn't say, you know, I haven't been in AA meetings or 12-step meetings my whole life. And I really believe my main sort of methodology, if you like, is to create a vision that's 10x more than than drinking and using drugs. Like when I was on that park bench, I didn't just want my goal to be wake up every day and not use, like wake up every day and not use, wake up every day and not use. That wasn't the baseline for me. I was like, no, I want 10x more than that. I want to become a successful entrepreneur. I want to have a successful business. I want to have a partner. I want to be in love and have a loving relationship and be connected to my family. I want to have this good life. I want to have health, wealth, love and happiness. I want to have good health in my life. I want to have happiness. I want to have wealth and money. And I want to have a fulfilling job and career. I knew that I wanted to go for the best. And yes, that's addict thinking in itself. Of course, he wants the best. He wants the biggest hit. But that was really helped me to create a big vision that was more than an addict in a sense. There was more than just being stuck with that label all my life. And now I have so many different labels, a loving partner, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, a chef, like a good cook, a homeowner, like all of those things, having a lovely home that I, that I live in. All those things I really love. So I feel like in terms of the labels, I talk to my clients about aspiring beyond that to get further than just not using drugs and drinking. Yes, that's the important problem to solve in the beginning, but really you want to be aiming higher than that and learn to regulate your emotions and really live a fulfilling and good life. It definitely shows that you've changed that mindset on looking at more, not like direct numbers like i have to hit this kind of revenue for a company or something you kind of use it as what's a goal like loving partner business owner entrepreneur you kind of used it where it's not going to take stress to you to get to that because eventually it may take time it's not going to happen overnight but i think that's because before you talked about the stress of the job got to you where it kind of fed into drinking and alcohol and drugs, where now 
you're feeding into things that are quality items, not quantity, if that makes sense. And that I think is so important because you think a lot of these, I mean, I mean let's take Dragon's Den and Shark Tank as an example. People want to hit this number. They're going to do anything. They're willing to go into debt to hit this number. You should be doing it for the mission. And that's what shows in you. And that's so exciting to hear that you have a fun mission that you are going for and it's not putting stress on you. Yeah, yeah. And I think I wanted to do a business that really fulfilled me. I guess coming back to the business side of things, right? I wanted to do a business that really fulfilled me. And that's why I moved from the web design side of things more into the mental health and into the counseling because um, I did, you know, start another agency and kind of clean up the agency um, when I was getting off drugs. But then my counselor helped me so much and I had all this entrepreneurial sort of drive in me and I learned all this stuff about personal development and my own therapeutic journey. And I wanted to have something that was more fulfilling around my life purpose and brought me more meaning. And that's when I decided to go back and do a degree in counselling and work in some of the best rehabs around the UK, learning from some of the most well-respected addiction counsellors and really develop myself and grow to learn this skill set. And then I started this business as I was coming towards the end of my degree. I knew I didn't want to get like a, a job job um, and, and work for someone else. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I just blended those in parts, my story, my own therapeutic journey, my business acumen, and then also my own personal growth. You know, I've had like seven years of therapy. I never stopped therapy. One of the things, you know, that I will give myself credit for is that sense of always being in the trenches and doing the work. I've done the work in therapy myself, not just reading from a textbook. I've done reps, I've put in the work, I've gone through my trauma, I've mapped everything out. I'm not perfect, but I still stay in therapy and I'm still growing. Got a lot to work on, by no means am I done. But I definitely, looking back, have put in lots of work into myself. And that's really important to running the company now, having that mission having the own personal growth, learning how to manage stress and manage my emotions. They're all really key things that I value that I've managed to kind of blend together to create a life that I sort of really enjoy and that I help clients every single day aspire to, to create as well. When you're working with clients, what is the big message you're hoping to share with them? Yeah, so I think the most important thing um, and some of the key things that come to mind is moving from having a craving to having a choice. I think a lot of people crave alcohol or drink or drugs and they're stuck in this cycle where they're just craving all the time and they need to get out of that cycle and go to having a choice. So now I can choose to go and drink or use drugs. You know, I can go downstairs, get some alcohol. I can make that choice, but I don't choose to do that because I don't want it in my life anymore. But I don't have the cravings. I don't wake up every day or go for a stressful event and just crave it. That's not in my life anymore. So that's the main goal, to move them from a craving to a choice. And I think the most important way to do that is learning to soothe one's emotions. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't understand emotions and I would just numb how I felt with drink and drugs. You know, whatever emotion came up with that stress or anger or anxiety or sadness or fear or whatever it was when I was running that company, I just turned to drink and drugs and just numbed everything down because that's what I did when I was a kid. So I just did the same thing, just kept pushing it down and numbing it. So one of the main messages I talk to clients about, and there's something that I am continually, continually mastering, is how to soothe one's emotions, how to actually calm our emotions down, soothe and regulate our emotions. 
And there's many different ways to do that that I go through with clients. And that could be meditating, journaling, exercising, and having some hobby, having a compelling vision, having good self-love and self-care routine to really look after yourself um, and really kind of paying attention to how you're working with and soothing yourself. That's really important. Talk about the creation of Lisa Inside Addiction. I'm fascinated to know about the title and how that got created. Yeah. So when I was creating the company, um, I really wanted it to, to mean something and have that fulfillment element. And that's why I decided to call it Lisa. So Lisa was my mum's name who passed away. And I felt like that was a good beacon for all of us, for myself and anyone who interacts with the company to really kind of have that as a message and a bit of a legacy for her. And then it's also called Inside Addiction because we got Inside Addiction in the therapy sessions, in the, in the podcast and in helping people. So that's why it's called Lisa Inside Addiction. And for me, where it came about was when I was in therapy, going through therapy and, and still building people's websites and trying to get some kind of company back on track so I could pay my rent. You know, I remember building a website for a cake shop and they sold way more cakes and I got paid for it. And I just sat in therapy and I was like, what am I doing? I'm just building a website so people can sell more cakes. I don't give a shit if they sell cakes. <laughs> I do like cakes, but it doesn't mean anything to me. There's no purpose. It's just more cakes. So I really decided at that point to to change industries and go into something that meant something. And therapy came up for me as an option to go and do a degree in it. And I really enjoyed it. And you know, over the past four, five, six years that I've been doing therapy as a therapist, I wouldn't change it for the world. I really, really enjoy it. Yes, it's not the easiest job. Sometimes it's challenging and it can be, you know, us, us addicts are a hard bunch to work with sometimes, but I really enjoy it. I've definitely got that kind of resilience and understanding um, and, yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. So the business came out of connecting all of the different pieces in my life you know between my business acumen my therapy journey my mum's story my story connecting all those pieces into something I can really do and have that fulfillment and the reason I value that so much is because I recognized how hard it was to build a business you know mm -hmm. and how challenging it was and how many fail and how hard it was and I knew that when it's 2am in the morning and you know you've really got to get on with something and meet a deadline or get something done or a client calls you at the weekend and really needs your help. You know, if I was just selling makeup to so women could, you know, have their, their faces beautiful and or had to research make, uh, makeup for some Amazon FBA business or some bullshit like that, you know, I wouldn't be there at two in the morning. I wouldn't care. I would just be like, I'm going to bed. I don't care mm -hmm. about how much this lip liner sells on Amazon FBA. Like, I just wouldn't care. I wanted something that really motivated me and, and really pulled me from a deep place to really care. And it's like if someone calls me while they're struggling with addiction, it's like I care at a visual level about the outcome. I stay there, put in the effort. We just built a whole new program, a video program, and I put blood, sweat, and tears into it knowing I don't want people to die of it. So when I felt knackered from recording all these videos and I didn't have anything left, I had that ability to dig deep and be like, fuck me, I'm getting on with this. We're doing it. I'm getting through these videos. This video can change someone's life and make sure they don't die of addiction the same as mum did. I'm staying here and we're recording this video. I don't care if it's hot, if I've been under these lights all day, I'm getting this done. So that's really where the business came from is having that really motivation to have a big impact on the world and really grow a business that I felt passionate about and that really meant something to me.
With having your mom's name in the title, do you feel that you're making her proud of what you are doing and making sure that you're helping so many people so that when she's looking down, she's proud of what you're doing? Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. hundred percent. I think it's really nice. Um, and I think, yeah, she'd definitely be proud. She'd definitely be proud. Um, and yeah, if, you know, there is a heaven, who knows, maybe we'll find out one day. I'm sure she's looking down. Um, and, you know, the people around me, you know, like my, my uh, grandparents and even my mum's friends and stuff, they're proud of me and they, they see what I'm doing and they think it's really, really good, which I, I enjoy. And it's really nice to be doing something that has that level of meaning. Something that our listeners like is to learn even more about our guests. As we've been on this journey with you, talk about when Luke is not working, what does he like to do? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So one of the things I really love doing is um, uh, cooking. So cooking is really important for me. I love cooking. That's like an active mindfulness for me while I'm focusing my attention on the dish. You know, some of the things I like to make is mashed potatoes. I've done a course by Gordon Ramsay about how to make the most amazing mashed potatoes. Um, so I absolutely love making that um, with like a rack of lamb or some kind of meat and having it with the potatoes. I'm getting hungry now. Um, <laughs> and that can be really, really nice. And I love putting all the effort into the food and making it, you know, as kind of Michelin star as I can and making it the best food I can. And I really take pride in that. So that's one thing that's really important to me. Um, another thing would be extreme sports. So that's an amazing part of my life. I love um, skydiving, snowboarding, BMXing. Um, I go BMXing a lot because there's no snow in the, in the UK. Um, but I go BMXing a lot and ride my bike and go and do all the tricks and all the jumps and stuff. And I find that, again, is another active mindfulness, a way just to sort of, you know, de-stress. And because I've done that from a young age, when my nan kind of took me from, from a kid, I've developed a skill set in, in BMXing that has helped me in life with loads of lessons about failure and pain and success but I've also got good at it so something I enjoy outside of work and business you know I don't really go to the skate park and people are like oh how's your therapy session what's happening in the therapy and talk to me about therapy stuff they're just like yo dude let's do some BMX tricks so I really love this a complete break from all the therapy stuff that's really soothing for me um, and then yeah snowboarding would be a really big passion of mine um, I try and go at least every single year and I've done a couple of seasons around the world in New Zealand and Austria. Um, I absolutely love snowboarding and being on the mountain and the vastness of it and just kind of being in that kind of zen flow state, going down the mountain. Um, I love those kind of really sports that really command my attention because I can't be thinking about, you know, business and going over a jump and doing a backflip. I'm going <laughs> to land on my head. So it's really important to have that focus and attention. So, yeah, they're some of the really things I value most in life. I'm going to hate to torture you because you just said you're hungry. Is there a dish that you hope to try to make in the future that you want to perfect? Or it's like, I dream that I can make it just like this. Is there a Gordon Ramsay yeah, recipe? Yeah, it would have to be Gordon Ramsay's Beef Wellington. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know if, ever, if you know that. But yeah, he does like a, he's famous for his Beef Wellington. And he has that on the cooking course. And that was a bit more of like an advanced one. I started with the mashed potato because I could put the sausages in the oven and they're just taking care of themselves. And I could just focus just on this on the mash and make it perfect. And I'm slowly building my way up and my confidence to make like all of the different stuff. But beef Wellington would be one of the ones that I'd love to sort of nail and get perfect with the pastry and the beef and the internal temperature 
all of that stuff would genuinely be um, amazing to, to be able to pull off a beef Wellington for a dinner party in, in like, you know, my lovely home. That would be a, a dream come true. Anytime I see any of his videos, I have to stop and watch the whole thing because everything he makes, I mean, he's been on TV for so long, but he's so good at what he does. And, you know, if you're going to listen to him, he's going to give you the stuff that you need to know how to make it a perfect dish. And I'm a big Beef Wellington fan. I mean, I make my own version. It's not as good as his, but I just say it's my own version. But I think it. The cooking to me has been something that I have enjoyed so much. Makes me feel creative. It makes me kind of really try to perfect it in a way, not in a stressful way, but perfect it so that it's rewarding and it tastes so good. Cause you don't want to cook for hours and then you're like, oh, this is horrible. Like you spent all that time, then it doesn't come out like how you want it. But cooking, I always try to say to people, try it because you will find creative juices that can help you in different areas from a professional, from a, per, a personal standpoint that you're like, oh, I, I didn't know that connected in a way, even though it's like cooking and working or cooking and working out. There's things, there's skills in both areas. Yeah, yeah. And I think the preparation is really important. Having everything prepared and sorted out and organized. You don't want to start frying something and then realize oh, I've got to get everything out of the cupboard and chop something up. Yeah. I like to make sure everything's organized and prepared before we start kind of going with it. And like you say, the detail. And I think it's also really rewarding once you make a really good meal and you get to eat it. Yeah. I love that kind of dopamine hit of like, firstly, I did that. I fucking smashed it out of the park and that was lovely. And I'm fed like the dopamine and the reward from cooking, I find is really, 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 really awesome. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Yeah, I think the most important thing when it comes to addiction is starting, right? If you think you have a problem, then you do. So get help, go and seek therapy. You know, one of the things if people are kind of wondering what the best thing to do is, is I actually build an online assessment that people can take. And it teaches them four core parts of their life. So their social circle um, and their subconscious programming and their their habits in their life. And it goes through and maps it all out. And they can go to the website and take that. That's not a problem. And it will actually tell them what how bad their drinking or drug use problem is in their life. And then they can get started on the journey. I think that's the most important thing is to have the under, not even the belief, because we don't always believe that we can make it to that to that point of change like if you'd have asked me at the beginning when i sit on that park bench luke you're going to be an entrepreneur you're going to counsel people around the world you're going to be amazing i'll be like bollocks like i don't believe that's going to happen but i think having the faith not necessarily the religious kind but just faith that you can change that it is possible people have done it before and i had that faith and and, and in a sense the belief that i could do it and i could really change i could become someone else so even if i didn't wasn't fully convinced just start the journey, start walking one step at a time, and you'll you'll be surprised what you can achieve in, you know, one year, five years, ten years. It's unbelievable the amount of progress that you can make. Well, Luke, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Yeah, awesome. Thanks very much, Alex. You've been a great host. Thank you very much for having me. 
Tune in next time here my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.